0: If you're a stepmom, chances are it's been challenging. You've experienced emotions that you didn't see coming. You've felt like you have no control over your life, like you're good enough until you're not. Maybe you're not on the same page as your partner when it comes to kids and the ex. Maybe you're triggered by the ex. Maybe you feel helpless because you want to protect your partner, but you're learning that you can't fix what you didn't break. Stepmoms often struggle to find their place. They find themselves in this place of competition and comparison and resentment and feeling overwhelmed. I'm not trying to be negative. I hear this from stepmoms every single day. I've also felt this way myself until one day I made the decision that this was not going to be my life. Chances are you don't want to feel this way either, but you don't know where to start. That's where I come in. I created a guide for stepmoms who are craving change. It's an audit on your step family life with 16 questions that I think that every single stepmom should ask themselves. If you answer the questions honestly and give this audit the time and attention it deserves, it will kickstart change that you're looking for. You can download it via www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom audit. When you do, I'll send you the links for some other free guides too. I've got the secret to improving your step family life and how to co parent with a high conflict ex. Again, Get your copy at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom audit. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. Raw and real conversations about all things, motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard, but each week I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Happy Monday or whatever day you're listening to this on. Guys, this episode is so good. I interviewed one hell of a woman, Steph Ray. To say that she has been through the ringer in life is an understatement. And something tells me that this podcast episode just scratched the surface of her story. This is a story of addiction, abuse, mental health, striving for perfection, resilience, recovery, living authentically, hard work, step parenting, single parenting, divorce, and more. If you happen to be going through tough stuff in your life right now, I have no doubt that this episode will show you what happens when you just keep going. If you're going through something tough right now, just keep going. This episode, it speaks for itself. So I'm not going to do a lengthy intro. Just going to say if it speaks to you, share it with a friend, leave a rating and a review, or shoot Steph and I a message on Instagram. You can find me at at Jamie Scrimger. You can find Steph at, at Steffi Ray. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow the new Instagram account for the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. And it is at Podcast. I cannot tell you how much I love hearing what resonates with you the most. Okay, let's dive in. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. You know what, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to get this set up for a long time now. And um, you know what, there's just, I feel like every time we go to, schedule and then we can't make it happen it's like something else happens in your life so it's like it just is gonna make for even better of a podcast episode
1: (laughs) totally so much has happened and continues to happen
0: (laughs) yeah well that's life right yeah so for those of you or for people who aren't familiar can you give us a little bit of an introduction um who you are what you're about what you got going on Totally.
1: So, Hey, everyone. I'm Steph. Um, <laughs> I'm a single mom to a three and a half year old. I own my own business through Arbonne. I'm a national vice president with them. And I've been in recovery for almost 14 years now. Um, and I live in Victoria, BC
0: in Canada. I've lived here my whole life. Mm-hmm. So any, yeah, you know what? You just kind of like rhymed it all off, like no big deal, <laughs> but you are like such an amazing, inspiring woman, like what you have overcome and what you've gone through and- you know, yeah, you just really, really inspire me. So, you know what, let's start at the beginning. Let's, well, not quite the beginning, but so you struggled with addiction in your teens. Can you share a little bit about what that was like and what that looked like? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, now uh, I'm almost 33. So now looking back on this
1: journey of when I was a teen, it's really easy to kind of see how this all went down. But obviously at the time I, I had no idea. Um, so I will start a little bit at the beginning, just to give you a snapshot of what what my life was like. So, um, you know, I grew up with a, a little brother. Both my parents, my dad's a, a GP in Talon, and my mom is an elementary school counselor. She's now retired. Um, you know, great family, good home. But my mom struggled with depression. And then she ended up leaving my dad and separating um, from him for two years. They ended up getting back together. But my entire family fell apart. And at the same time, I was getting bullied in school. And I was like a perfectionist, straight A's. They asked me to skip a grade, did really well at sports, was like the perfect little girl, right? Like with the doctor, dad, and the teacher, mom. It was like all this have to look perfect all the time kind of feeling. And so when all this was happening... Um, my dad's mom came to live with us because she was getting sick. And so my dad was there to take care of her. So she actually lived with us for probably about three years. And so she kind of became my second mom when my mom left, because I didn't see her for a while. And then she ended up passing away. And that was like a really, really big loss for me. And so now looking back on all this, I've blocked a lot of the memories come of it. Like my mom moving back into our home, my parents getting back together, all of it is a big blackout, which I now understand is a trauma response for, for people is when they block out all that memory. So that's what was happening for me. And at the same time, like I mentioned, I was getting bullied in school. So I ended up switching schools. And that's when I got introduced to my cool friends, they accepted me, they like, I was a popular cool girl now. And that's when I started smoking weed and drinking alcohol. And I went under the radar because nobody at 13 years old can handle their liquor. So nobody really thought anything of it. But I remember the first time I drank wanting more. And I remember blacking out the first time too. And just that feeling of like, oh my God, this is awesome. I need more. And then it slowly went from there. Um, what ended up happening was a lot of my friends got into harder drugs when we were in grade nine and I wrote them a letter saying, I didn't want to be friends with them because they were doing hard drugs. (laughs) And I laugh at that now because I ended up being the worst out of all of them. So I just continued to just like party on the weekends, and my grades started to plummet. And then when I was 15, I went on Accutane. And if you guys don't know what Accutane is, it's a really harsh acne drug. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to drink when you're on it. And because it makes you suicidal. And so that's what started to happen is I started to get suicidal every time I drank when I was on it. So it was just a big for lack of better terms, a big shit show when mm. I was a teen. And I was fighting with my parents all the time. I was getting brought home by the police on the weekends. It was it was just awful. And I just remember just hating myself and feeling so insecure. And then by the time I was 17 at the end of grade 11, that's when I got introduced to cocaine and it was game over. Like the alcohol and cocaine for me went hand in hand. And anytime I drank from that point on, I had to do coke and my bottom came a lot quicker after that, but not for a couple of years. So barely graduated high school. I was still on the volleyball team, still did well with that. And I could tell that teachers really wanted me to do well, but it just wasn't in me because I was partying all weekend. I'd party sometimes during the weeknights, you know, not barely sleeping before going to school. And then I was smoking weed all day, every day. Like I was never sober basically. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so when I graduated high school, um, I started dating a drug dealer. (laughs) as you naturally do when you're in this life. And it was really bad. Like we were up to a lot of no good. My family really wanted nothing to do with me. My friends who weren't into that really, you know, push me away because why would they want to be around someone involved in illegal activities who's constantly partying with that hard drugs, right? So I became someone I didn't recognize. And the people I started surrounding myself with were, were people that were always worse me because then I looked good. And I'm like, Oh, I don't have a problem. I'm not as bad as that guy. You see him? So what ended up happening is my best friend and a couple other friends wrote my parents an anonymous letter, mm. December of 06, uh, going into new year's of 07. So they wrote them an anonymous letter. Obviously I didn't know it was them at the time, but it was telling my parents of how bad things have really gotten because my parents knew I had an issue with with weed and with alcohol, but they had no idea about the cocaine. They really had no idea that my car was getting impounded all the time, that I was constantly getting involved with police. Like I hid it well. I lied a lot and wouldn't come home for days and miss birthdays and important events. But so they wrote this letter saying, you know, Stephanie's getting, getting into fights. She's drinking and driving all the time. She's this, this, and this. And my parents presented me with this letter. And they're like, is it true? And I was like, well, I can't say it's not true. I couldn't bring myself to actually lie that time. So from that point forward, my parents tried to get me to go to treatment. And I was like, Nope, F you, I'm not going, I don't have a problem. And the only way around this was me going to individual counseling through the youth center because I was 18. (laughs) I wasn't even 19. I was 18. So I remember going to this counselor and lying to him too, right? He's like, well, how much do you think like, how much do you think is appropriate to drink on a night out? I was like six beers. He's like, okay, well, let's try and do that then Stephanie. Let's do that. Okay. And I couldn't do it any single time. I couldn't do it. And I would lie to him and tell him I wasn't doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. And so a couple months after that, my parents gave me the ultimatum to either go to treatment or leave their house. Cause I was still living with them. And so I said, I'm out. See ya. <laughs> and I went and moved in with my drug dealer boyfriend Um, obviously we were partying a lot and then two months later it was just like any other night literally it was another bender two day bender and I found out a friend of mine who was like a good party friend so not an actual good friend of mine but we partied a lot together I found out she had been hitting on my boyfriend and of course I'm sure he was hitting on her too because he was that kind of guy but I blamed her in the moment yeah (laughs) obviously
0: Obviously. (laughs) yeah
1: and so what I did was I went back to the house that we were partying at it was 11 in the morning we'd been up for two days I went to the liquor store to go get more I went back to the house that we were partying at and I climbed through the window to attack her and did and then I remember calling my boyfriend and laughing and being like I got her I beat her up blah blah and he's like I'm gonna tell your parents again that you're doing drugs so this was like this is the kind of guy I was dating where he would give me the drugs and then try and play the hero by trying to get me off it was a really abusive situation. But I remember begging and crying him, to him like don't please don't please don't and then something clicked in my head where it was like you sound pathetic. Like you are actually begging someone. You are begging. And I said fine I'm going to tell my dad. So I called my dad at work and I said dad I want to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. And it was it was that moment on my dad came right right home like canceled his patients for the rest of the day came and got me. And then, yeah, two days later, I ended up in treatment just
0: after turning 19 years old. Wow. And how long is treatment?
1: It, for me, it was 42 days. So I was there for six weeks. It was inpatient. And for me, it was the best thing ever because I needed to be taken out of my situation. I know, like I know myself, I know what situation I was in, that if I had done an outpatient or tried to stay in the community, I wouldn't have stayed sober I needed to get away from my party friends my boyfriend at the time I had to get away from that Mm -hmm. and I was terrified it was terrifying going to treatment because I had just turned 19 and here in BC obviously like this is where we turn legal so all my friends are just starting to go to the bar legally and I'm checking into rehab
0: yeah you're like (laughs) yeah I will not be meeting you there
1: no, it's not happening.
0: And I remember like my first day in treatment seeing these
1: like big burly men walking around. I was like, oh my gosh, what? Where am I? And I was the youngest person and it was terrifying. But all I knew was I, I had hated who I'd become and I never wanted to be her again, ever.
0: Mm-hmm. So. And so walk me through that. Like, so you do treatment, you come out. Mm-hmm. What's life like? Like, what give us the. You got to tell. Them, you got to keep telling us the story of your life stuff. Tell <laughs> you the story. All right. So went
1: to treatment, terrifying, and really didn't understand anything about the disease of addiction because that's what it is, right? I I really truly thought something was just wrong with me, and then learning about addiction and how it affects the brain and how everyone else is with it too, like being in a room full of what forty to fifty other people who were all struggling with the same thing. I was like, wow this is an actual disease, right? Like it's an illness. It's not something that's morally wrong with me. There's something actually, you know, this is a health issue. It, it meant that like, okay, wow. Well, yes, there was something like wrong. Like I need to get healthy with this. And I did have to take responsibility for my actions, but it made me feel so much better knowing that it wasn't just like a fault inside of me. So I learned about the disease of addiction and really things started to make sense for me. But it took about two or three weeks just to kind of, start to unthaw. Like I went into treatment thinking I would still come out smoking pot because it's natural, right? Like it's a plant, like, of course, That what are you talking about? It's a drug. What are you talking about? And I remember we'd go for these walks like twice a day around the property and it was beautiful. The, the, the treatment center I went to was in the middle of the forest and little cabins and stuff. And it was great. It's here on Vancouver Island. And I remember talking to one of the guys there, another patient and he's like, you know what Steph, like you do what you want when you get out of treatment, right? Like it's up to you what you do, but just know if you are smoking pot, you're that much closer to taking a drink. And when you take that drink, you're that much closer to doing cocaine, which means you are that much closer to going right back into that cycle over and over and over again. And it was like a little light bulb moment that I was like, yeah, it's not worth it. It's not Mm -hmm. worth it. And then I really did understand that like, for me as someone in recovery, someone who struggles with addiction, it's not safe for me to use substances. Like it's just not, and it's not worth it for me to even try. And now, especially it's been a long time. It's like, I realized that for me, weed is, was one of my drug of choices, right? Like I, I loved it. I loved it to escape. I used it all the time. I never used it in a, in a healthy way. Mm So, so did a lot of work there, 42 days worth. But that's just scratching the surface of like everything.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I get it. Hey, you know what? I just actually released a podcast episode where I was scratching the surface. Yeah. Too, right. Like you can only, there's only so much time. <laughs> there's
1: only so much time. And also it's like, there's only so much you're ready to deal with at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I love the analogy of peeling back the layers of the onion, because that's exactly what my life has been like is, like I wasn't ready to look back on the childhood trauma part of my stuff until the last few years, mm-hmm. right? Like I never, I never even acknowledged it. I was like, no, my childhood was perfect. Like everything was great. I don't know why that I went into addiction. I said that for years, right? Mm-hmm. And not actually acknowledging that like, no, my body, remember this is traumatic, right? And it did affect me. So yeah. it is peeling back layers of the onion. So rehab really was like a kickstart for me into recovery. And then I got out and was, I had to sign a contract that I wouldn't get back together with my boyfriend <laughs> and go to like X amount of meetings per week. So 12 step meetings, it was a 12 step treatment center and I still do 12 step. Um, I love it. We can get into that a little bit later if you want to know a little bit more about that. But the, the night I got out, I lasted about seven hours without calling <laughs> my oh <no>. ex. <laughs> Yeah. And so I called him, we met up and, happy to see each other. And then I was like, something weird about you. You're high. You're high. You know, I just got out of rehab. And then I saw like a, like a bulge on the side of his pocket. And so I put my hand in his pocket and it was drugs. I was like, oh, you literally came to meet me right when I got out of rehab high with drugs on you. Like, wow. So then didn't talk to him for a month and I lived, I lived back home with my parents. I was going to meetings all the time, hanging out with people in recovery, doing aftercare groups. So the the treatment center set up weekly group counseling for other people that were getting out treatment around the same time. So those people really became my core group of friends. And um, I didn't talk to my ex for about a month, but then we ended up talking again and kind of got back together for a few weeks. And then my aftercare recovery group gave me the ultimatum. Like, either Steph, you <laughs> you're gonna relapse with this guy and you're gonna go right back to that life, or you can choose recovery. I was like, okay, hey, I'm choosing recovery. So I chose recovery and then mm-hmm. got rid of him. And what my life looked like was learning how to have fun in recovery, right? Like 19, all my friends are going to the bar. What am I going to do? Like, I don't drink anymore, right? So it was like, you know, going out, we would drive and make campfires on the beach. We would go for coffees. We would go out for dinners. We'd go for road trips. We'd drive back up to the treatment center for meetings. And we had so much fun together, like Mm -hmm. so much fun doing this new life together. And I just, I loved it. But I had to put myself in the middle because recovery became my number one at that
0: point. I never wanted to go back to being that girl I was in my addiction. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Cause I feel like sometimes people just gloss over that part of their stories. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. That you're welcome. Oh yeah, that is so good. <laughs> so you come out, so now you you know, you and I start talking when you become a stepmom. That's yeah. how we kind of came into each other's life. So I guess that's a fast forward a little bit, right? Yeah, total fast forward. Probably like Oh my God. 10 years.
1: Fast forward.
0: 10 years. Fast forward. So you actually end up becoming like an addictions treatment. You, you work with people who have addiction.
1: Yeah. So, so I wanted to be addictions counselor. And here's the thing is because I didn't have good enough grades in high school. I had to upgrade my high school classes. I couldn't get into university. So I had to go to college and then transfer into the social work um, program at UVic here in, in Victoria. So I ended up getting my social work degree and then I wanted to go work at the treatment center that I went to. So I did, but then I got offered a job in politics and <laughs> I worked in politics for a while. I don't even know. It's so weird. My life has done so many zigzags and what I've done for work. But ultimately, um, I ended up working again back in mental health and addiction. So back, yeah, this last little bit. And that's the job I recently quit was working at the treatment center.
0: Wow. Yeah, you've definitely yeah. done a lot of pivots. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let's come up to present day. So, you now you're actually going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. You are single mom. You mm-hmm. have quit your job and are now doing our bond full time and freaking mm-hmm. killing it. <laughs> Thank you. So, what's life like right now? Because when we first started talking, we were talking about you reached out to me when you were a stepmom and you're kind of Feeling like we all feel when we're a stepmom. Um, well, I still am a stepmom, and you're obviously yeah. still a bit of a stepmom too. But yeah. you know, reaching out, having those conversations. What was what was your experience as a stepmom like for you? Because you hook up with your husband, mm-hmm. and he has two kids. Yeah, yeah. So yes, and we moved really quick. My
1: my ex and I. So his kids at the time were eight and ten. I had never ever even dated a guy with kids. Before, So this was my first experience. And at the time when I met him, I was coming out of an extremely abusive relationship, like physically, mentally, emotionally, I was broken. And this is this is going to be like a plot twist. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> so it came out of that abusive relationship, had to call the cops on my ex um, boyfriend, not my ex husband. And who's the cop to check my welfare? My husband. So that's how him and I met. So he was the knight in shining armor for me and my story, which turned out not to be the knight in shining armor, but (laughs) that's how we met. And so it was like, you know, I was like, wow, like he, he's a police officer. He has two kids, you know, he has a house. He's great. Like, um, all these things. Right. And then I met his kids and they were the sweetest kids. Like, so like just loving and adorable. And we got along immediately. Like me and the kids, just it was instant. It was like it, I had always been a part of their lives, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then soon after that, um, we got pregnant. So six months into our relationship, we got pregnant, which wasn't planned, but obviously shifted the entire dynamics of everything as well. And then not to mention my husband has an ex-wife as well. They had been divorced for about 10 years. And at the time when I had met him, he was like, yeah, no, we're good. Everything's, everything's good. And I'd met her and it was fine. And then around the same time that we got pregnant. She took him back to court again. And it was like, my world got turned upside down and he started to tell me things that were going on. And I like really did not like this woman. Like I thought she was crazy. I was like, how could she do this? Like, I hate her. Oh my God. Literally right? And then, but trying to be there for the kids. And so for me, it was always about putting the kids first and not Mm -hmm. talking badly about their mom ever to them and doing what's best in the situation, no matter what, and then having my own emotions. And then this is why, one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because I never felt like I had a safe space to actually Mm -hmm. express myself and talk about those internal feelings of what was going on and feeling so powerless in the situation. Um, And then there was some messed up stuff that was going on too when I started to learn about the history of my ex-husband and and his ex-wife and all that. But I was really just trying to hold it together because like I was pregnant and I loved those two little kids and trying to play mediator and counselor to everybody involved. But what ended up happening was um, I ended up starting to be befriending his ex-wife very slowly and um, things just weren't really adding up. The story that my ex-husband was telling me and then me starting to get to know her. And I was like playing mediator between her and my ex-husband, which isn't a fair situation for any person to be in. And And it's exhausting.
0: It's so exhausting and so
1: draining. It was honestly awful. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was terrible because I was one, a new stepmom, two pregnant, and then a new mom navigating my hormones, learning how to be a mom, sleepless nights, all the things. My ex-husband would talk nonstop about her and how terrible she was in front of me and the kids. And so having to be his counselor day in, day out. And really, I felt like I had to be everything to everyone. And then there was no one there that was like there Mm -hmm. for me. So it was really, really hard, but things weren't adding up when he was telling me all this stuff that she's crazy and all this kind of stuff. Things weren't adding up when I started to get to know her, and still, like, of course, she would frustrate me and all this kind of stuff. But um, her and I are now like really, really close. <laughs> her and I are like really good friends now, which is funny. So I'll give you that tidbit. Like, I wouldn't have been able to get through this last year and a half without her, and like. I'm forever grateful for her, but being a stepmom was one of the most challenging things that I've ever, ever, ever done. Because, um, I mean, you're, you're involving yourself in a life that like you had no part of, like you had no Mm -hmm. part of raising those kids. And, um, I don't get say over what they do and their schedule and all that kind of stuff. And I felt really powerless in a lot of the situations. Um, but also it was, like the best thing ever. Like I just, I love those two kids. They're 15 and 13 now. And like, we still talk all the time. I see them all the time. They're, they're Hunter's older siblings. Like I am just so grateful for it. And it really just helped shape me.
0: I think to who I am right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that your experience as a stepmom forced you to look at your life and the trauma you've been through and like just, just the story you were telling yourself and the insecurities you were having. Like for me, I felt like my experience as a stepmom has really been like this character building situation, like in terms of communication skills and how you deal with conflict and like your perspective and mindset and all these things that when you're in the trenches of it, when you're in those really tough times, especially when you're Inserting yourself in their conflict. And I did the same thing. I was trying to solve everyone's problems, trying to like deal with things because it was easier for me to deal with it, you know, than my husband having to deal with it. And it's so heavy and you have no control and you feel good enough until you're not. And then you Mm -hmm. get trumped. But when you look back on those tough times, it's like, whoa, I grew so much. Yeah.
1: It was the same, like I feel the exact same as you. And this is like, this is where like you and I started to connect. And that's why I was so grateful to find you because I was feeling so alone and it was so heavy. Like, like you said, inserting yourself into their conflict, right? Like trying to solve everyone else's problems. Cause that that was me. That was constantly me was putting everyone else above my own needs. And, you know, I think it really, it taught me a lot of valuable lessons of like how to take care of myself and that, you know, some problems like aren't mine to fix at Mm -hmm. all. Right. And having to set boundaries and that, that part that kind of leads to, you know, the, the next part was like, you know, unfortunately I wasn't in a healthy marriage where I could set boundaries like that, you know, ideally for other people that have, you know, a healthy enough marriage that they can do that. But like, there was no ability for me to do that. And I I tried multiple times, but it just, it just didn't work. Um, Because no matter how many times I said, I don't want to hear about her anymore. Like you need to go talk to someone else. He would constantly talk bad Mm -hmm. about her to me. Right. And so it was incredibly frustrating, but really like it did teach me like a lot of stuff because I had to, like, I never came into the situation wanting to be their mom or trying to replace that. I, I feel like that is so inappropriate and in every single way. And so I came into the situation with just wanting to be there for them, but also not just being their friend because the kids like, and they told me this, that they, they loved me and they loved me in comparison to a lot of their dad's ex-girlfriends, because like I actually did set boundaries with the kids. Right. And I would tell them, no, you can't do that. And no, it's time for you to go to bed. And I would be, you know, like that parental figure, not replacing either mom or dad, but they liked that because they knew where they stood with me. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was an important thing too, is just like being me setting my boundaries, learning how to communicate and just realizing too, that I was walking in on a situation that there was a lot of trauma for everyone involved in that. And those kids really just needed, an ear and another adult to love them, especially at their dad's house. And so for me, that was a huge privilege
0: yeah. that I got to
1: be a part of that.
0: I love hearing that. <laughs> and, you know, I was reading one of your Instagram posts a little while ago and it was talking about your divorce and how, mm-hmm. you know, you felt like your whole world was falling apart when you guys ultimately decided to end your marriage. And I think you reached out to me during that time too. You're just mm-hmm. really, really struggling <laughs> And now you look back and you're like, it was one of the best things that ever happened. Oh my God.
1: Was it ever like, honestly, was it ever? And I think all this, like all this get raw and real here. I was debating like kind of doing that just because like my ex-husband and we're still finishing up our divorce here, but really it was, it was, it was an awful marriage. Like it was terrible. And it was abusive, not physically, but mentally and emotionally. And looking back on it now, like I'm still unthawing from it where it's like, wow, that was really messed up. So at the time, um, I I was working at the mental health and addiction treatment center. It had just opened. So it was a startup. I was wearing about 10 different hats. I was working 70 hour work weeks, had a toddler, you know, was a mom back to work within her first year. So navigating all that, the two step kids, the husband that, you know, wasn't going well. And then my my other grandma was sick and dying and then she died. And then two weeks later, we had a the kids said something to to me that, that triggered a reaction within me. And I said, Oh my God, this is actually so embarrassing, but I'm gonna say it. I was so emotional and frustrated and exhausted. I yelled, I don't want to be a stepmom anymore. Right. And it hurt them so bad. Like so bad. And really it wasn't about not wanting to be a stepmom anymore. It was that I was so exhausted of not being heard. And not feeling like anyone cared or saw me in what I was doing because, like, I was drained. I was Mm -hmm. drained doing everything around the house and, like, being like doing all the daycare drop-offs, pickups for Hunter, listening to my husband, listening to the kids, all that kind of stuff. I was just like done. And then having the kids say snappy things, like, like they do because they're they're preteens, whatever, right? Like, whatever. Anyway, I said that, and that triggered my husband to be like, that's it. I want a divorce. Right. And I was like, fine, let's get a divorce then. And it was for real that time. And I knew it. And it was like, it was like, everything came crumbling down because his ex-wife wouldn't talk to me. The stepkids wouldn't talk to me and he barely talked to me. And then I'm like, wow, now I'm going to be a single mom. Oh my God. Right. And it was like, my entire life was falling apart right then and there. Right. And so my ex and I started to go to marriage counseling, trying to to try and work things out because I'm also the type of person that I don't give up easily, especially when it came to, I didn't want my son to have to grow up in the quote unquote broken home, right? Like I didn't want him to grow up in two different households. And I say the quote unquote broken home because it's not a broken home. My son now is like, he's a happy little boy with two loving parents, right? It's not a broken home, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's what I was like. I wanted to make things work with him. And then I found out he had been cheating on me the whole time. So That was completely over, right? But it was like, wow, my entire marriage was a fraud. I felt completely violated and just like, wow, you were cheating on me when our son was four months old, right? And did I get full confirmation? No, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And I knew in my gut that it was true. Um, And then I started finding out a lot of the truth of um, my ex uh, about his history, things that he had lied to me about, about constant cheating and all this other stuff too, that it was really awful. Like it was a really dark time for me um, in terms of like, I just felt super depressed and terrified of being a single mom. Um, And what ended up happening was his ex-wife. So her name's Emily. She, um, she messaged me and she's like, Hey, can we chat? I'm like, of course. And she wasn't talking to me. Right. And um, I was like, this is either going to go really good or really bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I went over to her house And she's like, okay, obviously I was really upset when I heard what you said to my kids, right? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Trust me, I totally get it. That was wrong. And she's like, but then I start to think, like, why would Stephanie say that? And then I started to think, you must be really, really tired. And then I just bawled, like broke down bawling and then told her like everything that had actually been going on because I wasn't telling people what was actually going on in our marriage. Just because I wanted to keep, you know, privacy and you're not supposed to tell everyone that goes on in your marriage and I wanted to make you know people like think that things were good and I was trying to see the positives in situations but really it wasn't good at all mm-hmm. so I told her and from that that moment on she was just like her and I've been really good friends and so um, nice it was so nice and then she she started to talk to the kids, too, and she allowed me the opportunity to come over and speak with them as well and just, like, apologize and own what I said to them. And that's what I did. I said, I am so sorry. There was there was absolutely no reason for me to have said that, and I didn't mean that at all. Like, I love you guys so much, and really it had nothing to do with you guys. And thankfully they accepted my apology and their mom tried, you know, just made sure that their feelings were heard on, on their own time. And now we're really close, but I'm so grateful for her because my ex actually tried to ruin my relationship with them by constantly telling them I was crazy Mm -hmm. and all these kind of stuff. So I wouldn't have a relationship with those two kids if it weren't for Emily, the ex-wife.
0: That's so nice. And you know what? I, I freaking hate when men are like, Oh, she's crazy. It's like a lot of times. Okay first of all, no, that's often not true. Mm-hmm. But then when we are crazy, cause, cause I think we are a l- all a little bit crazy. <laughs> it's like, do you know what you've done to get us to this point? Right? Like ABCDEF, exactly. like all those things. And then you finally react and it's like, Oh, you're crazy. It's like, I think I yep. posted something on my Instagram once saying like, can we just normalize like not calling women crazy when they respond to disrespect? exactly yeah it's such bullshit
1: yeah and and because I struggled with that too especially coming from an abusive relationship before because there was so much mental abuse to try and and sift through that like my ex-husband actually seemed so much better because he was better in comparison to the other ex right Mm -hmm. and so I remember it was actually on TikTok I started to videos were popping up about reactive abuse and I was like jaw drop, mic drop, reactive abuse. Oh my God. Because like people will call you crazy and say, wow, like, look, she's, she's abusive. She was yelling at you. She was saying this. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. What happened before that? What happened before that? And that, I also talked about that in counseling actually. And a counselor had talked to me and said, look, (laughs) did you just react like that out of nowhere? Like nothing was happening. He was just sitting on the couch, minding his own business. And all of a sudden you, you snap showed like, no, never, yeah. no, never, ever, yeah. ever, ever. It's reacting to the the constant comments, the name calling the, you know, the mental and emotional abuse that was happening. Right.
0: Yeah. And no, so that
1: sure. I'm there with you where it's like, it's not fair when women are called crazy and like,
0: yeah, we all have our emotions that can be yeah. heightened. <laughs> yeah. I That's remember, not- I don't know who I was talking to once they were, they were not very experienced in the dating world and they re- described an emotion or just an emotional reaction from their new <laughs> girlfriend. I was like, Yeah. So? I was like, Yeah. Well, that was just crazy. I'm like, No, if you're going to date women, you need to know we're all a little crazy. Like, that was actually <laughs> fairly, fairly normal. <laughs> That's a fairly <laughs> normal response. I love it. So love it. you're getting divorced and you're a single mom, and you're like, Holy shit. And I think what a lot of people struggle with, a lot of single moms struggle with, they're like, okay, financially, how am I going to do this?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's the whole other part to this story was I had seen how my ex was always trying to not pay his ex-wife constantly trying to pay her less child support, trying to get out of paying for sports. So I knew that that was going to be my reality with him. And so when he asked me for a divorce, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be a single mom. Like, how am I going to make ends meet? And I had a a well-paying job at this treatment center I was working for, but still it wasn't going to be enough to like even buy new clothes after bills. Like, how was I going to afford a two bedroom place here in Victoria on my own? And I knew I was barely going to be able to get any child support from my ex. Not that I even wanted it from him. I just knew that like, there was no other money coming in for me. And so it was the month that my, my ex asked me for a divorce that I joined Arbonne and I had, I had done three other network marketing companies in the past. Like I always believed in the business model, but never was successful with them and never really tr- tried hard. So there was, there was two reasons for that. One was I didn't like the way that those other companies had done business or wasn't totally in love with the product because every network marketing company does things different. And then the other side was I wasn't ready to do the work because as you know, starting your own business requires a lot of personal development and a lot of mm-hmm. personal like you have to dive deep into that because all your limiting beliefs, all those fears, everything gets right up to the forefront smacked in your face.
0: <laughs> so you 100%. have to deal with it.
1: Yeah. So I had been watching my girlfriend for a year do Arbonne and I saw her find a lot of success with it, where she was able to stay at home with her kids and buy her her family a home and her husband didn't have to work anymore. And she was someone I knew before. And I was like, what? (laughs) Okay, if you can do that, there's no reason why I can't do that. So I decided to join Arbonne at the end of September. And I, I thought of it in the way of like, okay, I'm buying nutrition, skincare, makeup stuff anyways. So why wouldn't I join and get it for a great discount and then, you know, try and make an extra couple hundred bucks a month that could cover a couple of bills. And that would be just huge. Like if that's worst case scenario, that's good for me, right? That's good enough for me. So I joined and then, um, I had a few like kind of slower months as I was just going through things because you know, going to marriage counseling, finding out my ex had cheated on me. And then, you know, allowing myself to feel those emotions too. And that's one thing, good thing about recovery is that I knew I can't shove down those emotions. I just have to feel them. So I, I cried a lot and it sucked. I wished that I wasn't an addict or an alcoholic, so I could just go and escape for a bit, but I don't, I don't have that luxury. So I knew I just had to sit there and cry and, you know, some moments are better than others, but for my business, it was kind of like, you know, I was teetering for the first couple of months. And then, and then Carly, my friend sat me down and said, okay, what do you want? Like, you're getting divorced. You're going to be a single mom. Like what's, what's going to be the number, right? Like, what would what you need? And so we had this like goal setting call and, um, she's like, well, what would your life look like if you were to make X amount of dollars per month? And that was like, like well over five figures a month. Like, what would it look like? And I was like, Ugh! I don't even know. Like I have no idea. I've never even pictured myself making that much money because I'm waking, I'm making social worker. salary. Yeah. You, you know, Yep. <laughs> you know, it's not a lot. No. Um, so it was, it, it stumped me. That question really stumped me. And so I had to sit and think about it. And then I started to think, she kept being like, think bigger stuff. She's like, you love working in the mental health and addiction space. Okay. What would it look like if you actually have the money to do more? And I was like, well, you know, like instead of me working full time at a mental health and addiction treatment center, I could be starting a charity, or I could be consulting, or I could be doing all these different things that require more time freedom, because I can't do that when I'm in a Monday to Friday, nine to five job. So I could do that. I could buy Hunter and I home. I could, you know, help my parents off, pay them back for treatment. That's always been one of my goals is pay them back for treatment. Although they don't expect it, I would just love to do that for them. You know, help my brother buy a place like you know, help Taylor and Mateo, my stepkids with getting their first cars, like just cool things that like, I started to think about being like, wow, like, why wouldn't I run towards that? And then I just started to really think, it's just like, I want more from life and that's okay to want more from life. And Mm -hmm. I feel like us women are not taught to want more from life and that like, it's actually okay to want to earn more money because yeah part of it is about the money but part of it's like what do you do with the money it allows yeah. you so much freedom and options to help other people
0: and that's so what it's always
1: been about for me is helping others and i know oh, i would assume it's similar for you having a social work background because people who go into social work are really we like to help others
0: mm-hmm.
1: right and so that's what i really had to become okay with was that it one it's okay for me to want more it's okay to chase my goals and like, it's okay for me to shine bright, that I don't need to keep playing small to make other people feel comfortable. If people aren't okay with me wanting more, you can get out of my life. There's no Mm -hmm. room for you here. And that's what I started to like actually dig deep into with my personal growth is that, yeah, people are going to talk badly. People are going to judge. And I've had, I've had comments and all that kind of stuff, but then I just realized like, okay, then you can go into your own little world. Like, I don't, I don't want you in my life anymore if you're going to judge me. Like, there's no space for you here.
0: Yeah.
1: And it makes room for other people who have, like, higher aspirations, positive people, people that are aligned and have the same kind of energy as me who want more from life, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing I also realized was starting my business. Whenever I had people talking badly or judging, they were never people that were more successful than me. Yeah. Or they were never people that wanted or that had the life that I wanted.
0: It's so true. And I think there's like a quote or something out there saying like, you can't take, like, don't, don't take any feedback from anyone who's doing less than you. And it is, I would love to dive into that. Sometimes it's like, you know, just the messages that women get, like, it's not okay for us to want more. Are you, even like the money piece, right. And the freedom piece, people will be like, well, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, You know, money doesn't buy happiness, but money buys freedom and money buys things that make you happy and Mm -hmm. money helps you solve problems like bills and provides for your life. And I would love to get to the place where it's like a woman really diving in and wanting to create that, you know, I hate to say the word like freedom lifestyle because it's so cliche now and like so overused on it. It's like create your freedom lifestyle. But really, what the hell's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, what is wrong with that? I think I I love it. I love that mindset shift for you, especially because now that, you know, you've been through so much and it's like, no, you know what? Now it's my time. Like now I'm going to take everything that I've learned, all of Mm -hmm. the trauma and the shit I've been through. It's like, let's go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's basically what it came down to. I was like, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. And I don't want to be in debt. I don't want to be struggling for money and all that kind of stuff. So I started working my business and I was doing that alongside working 70 hour work weeks. Um, and then navigating my emotions of divorce, going to mediation, trying to sell our house, you know, like just all of life. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you know, people oftentimes when they're starting a, a business like this, they're like, "Oh, I don't have the time," and I'm like, <laughs> "You're talking to the queen of of being busy." And like, here is how I made it work, right? Because a lot of the business doesn't like people think it's sales, right? I would say 20% of it's sales, but 80% of it is personal development and things and, you know, personal growth and leadership. So how I would start my days always would be listening to podcasts while I'm doing my makeup in the morning. And while I'm driving, driving to work and driving Hunter to daycare, that's when I would listen to podcasts, which was like reading a book or, you know, like therapy sessions. It literally just made me feel so good Anytime I listened to that. So I would do that. And then I'd set up calls during my lunch hour. And then when I got off work and I would go pick up Hunter, that was my time with Hunter. And then it would be, I don't know, two or three hours before he went to bed. And here's the thing. That's the thing about being a working mom that I realized that that's that's not the life I want for me and Hunter either. I don't want just to have two or three hours with him from Monday to Friday only, right? I wanted more than that. So that was something just to keep in mind. But I'd spend that time with Hunter. I'd put him to bed. And then instead of watching Netflix all night, I worked.
0: Mm -hmm. So I traded,
1: I traded those two things because what I used to do was binge watch Netflix every single night. And was I learning anything? No, it was mindless. So Mm -hmm. I switched that time into putting it into my business. And I just had this goal and this vision and I ran towards it and that was it. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I was going to do it. So I did it.
0: And so I don't know a lot about Arvon, but the promotion that you just reached, because I was watching mm-hmm. you talk about reaching it on Instagram. Oh my gosh, I was stressed about it. I was like <laughs> emotional about it. What was that like? What did that mean for you in terms of reaching that goal?
1: Totally, that's a that's a good question. So, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm a national vice president with Arbonne, so that is the top level of my company. It's the top one percent of the company. Um, so for me, that means a lot of things. Like one a lot of it like more personal in terms of like, my self-worth and insecurity stuff that I always had before and not feeling ever good enough. And then realizing that like anyone is capable of doing this when, you know, you do the work and the effort and put in the time, like it's a huge symbol for like me and my team. Right. And so it it just means that there's no more promotions after that. No one can pass you at that time. And it's just a huge achievement in your business going forward, laying the, the groundwork for it to grow. But really what it meant for me is like freedom for Hunter and I.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, like money, mm-hmm. like you were going to make money. Yeah. Good money. You yeah.
1: Make really good money right. at that point. <clears throat> and then helping other people to help, to get their business to grow. So what happened was I was at regional vice president, which is the top 2% of the company. I reached that last June and that's when you get your, you get to go pick out any white Mercedes and, and Arbon pays you monthly for it. So it's not a free car. They pay you monthly for it. You have to keep reaching your targets. Just want to clarify that because people are always like, oh, it's free. No, it's not free, (laughs) but you can lease it or you can finance it. And it's really, really awesome because they pay for my monthly payment. So I I got that and i was still working full time at, at, uh, the treatment center. And I just knew inside of me that I couldn't do the next promotion while still working full time. Like I just wasn't going to be able to be there for my team in the way that I wanted to be there because going to, to nation being a national vice president It is about your team. Like you need to help other people to level up. So part of what I do, most of what I do is coaching and helping other people work through their personal growth, help them build their business. And I love it. It is so cool being able to walk other women and men through this and help them feel empowered and realize this change and this growth and what they're capable of. I love it. So I knew that I couldn't reach that level without quitting my job. And so one day I was driving up to, to, to Homewood, my, my job, and I was driving up this beautiful, long driveway I'd done every single day in the forest. And usually I loved that, that driveway drive up there. And that morning I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. What, what am I doing? Why am I still working here? And then working my business on my off time and not spending that time with Hunter. So I walked right into my boss's office. Who's also a good friend of mine. I said, I think I want to (laughs) quit. He's like, you think you want to quit or are you quitting? I was like, I think I'm quitting. (laughs) So so I quit. And so my last day was October 15th. And then November, we went into nation qual. So we went into qualification for the promotion. Um, So we did our promotion over a three month period. And I know the time that you're thinking about is December. Mm -hmm. So to to go to do a promotion with Arbon, you have to do it over a two two or three month period, not just in a one month. So we had to hit a certain number for November, and then I had to hit another certain number for December. And so to put this into perspective for you guys, December was a weird month. It was it was it was slow. Everyone's like buying Christmas presents and more stuff in the mall, all that kind of stuff. It was slow. So on the twenty ninth, I was about our team was about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars away from hitting our goal, and from me, I was like we're doing it. Like if we are doing it, there's no other option. We are finishing it in two months. I'm not doing this over a three month period because this is really exhausting. I was working 12 hour days. Like literally all I was doing was this and it's, it's crazy time. It's worth it, but it's crazy time. And I just had this belief and I, you know, I rallied all of our team and like, we're going, we're doing this. And this is when you were watching. I did a lot of Instagram lives where I was keeping people posted and you know, like asking for help and saying, "Guys, like if you guys have ever wanted anything, please, please let me know. I'd be
0: so appreciative." Like you know, all that stuff, which is very uncomfortable, FYI. <laughs> but again, afterwards. so good. And and I thought actually, in watching you, like sorry to interrupt there, but in watching you do that, you were asking for help. You were saying, "This is what I want. This is what I'm going for. If you have it in you, like help me out." Mm-hmm. And. Darren, uh, and I was in the car with Darren at the time. He's like, we're about to buy a lot of (laughs) Arbonner and I was like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm just so into this. But then what I thought was so moving to me is that you had put yourself out there so strong, but then you didn't meet the goal. Mm hmm. We didn't meet it.
1: <laughs> no, we didn't
0: meet it. And that was the thing is that,
1: so we were far away, right? And I could have given up right then and there, right? See, this is this is the whole point is on the 29th, we were 150,000 away from hitting our goal, okay? So I could have been like, we're way too far, guys. We're not going for it. And I could have just given up and told our team just to back off and not go balls to the wall, right? But I, my mindset was like, no, we are finishing this no matter what. I have no clue how, but we're doing it. And so we pushed those three days were insane. And we brought in 80,000, right? So we were still, we were still short. We were, we were quite short. Which is still huge though, 80,000. Exactly. And here's the thing is that I was with one of my girlfriends who finished nation that night who she she completed the goal. I didn't. Right. And I think a lot of people were expecting me to be very upset about it, but I wasn't, I was like, so Moved by the amount of people that supported us. I was so inspired by our team who, like, rallied. Like, no, we brought in 80,000 over two days. That was insane. And for me, I never looked at it as a failure. I looked at it as like, wow, this is what can happen when you put your mind to something. And I think this is a really important lesson just in in life in general, right? It's like, we can either look at situations as a failure or we can look at it as growth because yeah, I could have looked back at that situation and been like, I failed. I didn't meet it and been upset, but I chose to look at it as like, this is freaking amazing what we did and we're finishing it this month which meant January. And we did. We finished it out in January. We ran and
0: we finished it. I felt like I finished it. (laughs) I was (laughs) so excited for you. It is so amazing. And again, like for me, I love the asking for help piece. You have asked for help. And I'm guessing as a single mom now, like that's something that you have to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
0: you are like asking for help is actually shows that you're strong not that you're weak. Right. And I think that's such a mindset chef for people.
1: It is because it takes a lot of courage and strength to be able to ask for help. And like, you know, I've learned to have to ask for help since going to treatment, because that's what we're taught is asking for help. So I think like, I have an advantage in that way is that I learned it as a young age, that it's okay to ask for help. Does it make it any less uncomfortable? No. (laughs) Like I do. I enjoy asking for help. No, I don't really like I, I, really like the, the ability to be able to do it on my own, but then, you know, putting my ego aside and realizing that I do need help. Right. And, um, talking about ego is, um, so we sold, I had to move out of our marital home in August because I was living with my ex for about a year after we separated, which was difficult, but I was like, enough's enough. I'm moving out. And I moved into my best friend's parents' basement suite. So I'm in a basement suite right now with my son, right? And that was like a blow to my ego in a because 'cause I'm like, oh my God, look, I'm in a basement suite. Like I lived in this home on an acre in the, you know, the great part of town and now I'm in a basement suite. But really, like, I am so grateful because, like, I live in my best friend's parents' basement suite. Their kids are always here. My best friends live up the road. My parents live around the corner. Like, I have a community of people here helping me that, like, if I need to run out to the grocery store, like, my son just runs upstairs and hangs out with the grandparents. Like mm-hmm. this is the best thing ever. And that's what I've been able to reframe is that like who cares if I'm in a basement suit right now? Like this is the most loving, supportive environment I could be in. And same with Hunter and like we love it here. And it's it's really allowed me to ask for help and settle into like being a single mom because mm-hmm. it's hard.
0: Yeah. And having that community around you in business and life and family, mm-hmm. like all the things. Like it's it's just so it's so important
1: so important. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of what's gotten me through this last year too, is, is community. Because Mm -hmm. like all this could have, you know, going through divorce, being a single mom, dealing with all this stuff you have to deal with when you're, you know, married to someone like I was, it's really difficult and challenging. And I wouldn't have been able to get through it without the amazing people in my life. Like, Emily, my, my husband's ex-wife, which I think is just important to touch on too, is because like, I remember my conversations with you. And at the time I remember thinking like, wow, I didn't like her at all. And now how my entire perspective has changed on that. And just that, like that's happened to me multiple times throughout my life where it's like you prejudge someone based on a situation that you think you understand or based off what someone else has told you. And then you get to really get to know that that person or the situation and realize like, no, I actually really like this person and getting to make your own, your own judgment on them. And you know, I'm just so grateful for the community I have around me because I am where I am today with the community I have. And that includes also my social media platform. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of community and support I get through my Instagram is incredible.
0: Yeah. And you're killing it. Steph, honestly, be, you be proud of yourself. Like you have been through the freaking ringer in life. And you've come out on top and you're such an inspiration to so many women and so many different situations. And I hope even though it is uncomfortable for you, you're like, holy fuck, like I'm a badass. Like <laughs> I did this. Right. And yeah, I don't normally put the F bombs out on my web, on my podcast, but like that deserved an F bomb. Like you are freaking killing it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been We've covered a lot and so inspiring. (laughs) Uh, Where can everyone find you?
1: Uh, Steffi Ray um, for my
0: Instagram. So it's Mm S-T-E-P-H-Y-W-R-A-Y. And um, I will send everyone there. I'll link your Arbon shop as well. And guys, if you happen to be looking for a career change, I feel like Steph's team might be one that you would want to join. So uh, thank you so much, Steph. We'll chat soon. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.